This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you trust yourself? Whether you're facing a big decision, want to make a change in your life, or trying to plan for the future, the best foundation is knowing you can count on yourself. Therapy can help you build that self-reliance so you're prepared for anything. Give it a try today at betterhelp.com super. What if Neville Longbottom was the chosen one instead of Harry Potter. Hey, brother. Okay, for the last month, we have been wandering down the path of this mystery. What if Voldemort had settled on Neville as his true enemy rather than Harry? How would Voldemort attack him? Who would Neville's friends be? And what would happen to the Potters? Well, we've answered a few of those questions already. We know that Neville's family remained in hiding until he was old enough to go to school. Harry's family, on the other hand, was still attacked, but Harry survived, and now him and Neville are best friends. But in Neville's very first year at Hogwarts, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and all year students have been attacked from the monster within. Professor Quirrell is still there, but he's not corrupted by Voldemort like usual, meaning he's still very eager to prove himself and so has been searching the castle endlessly for the chamber and the culprit. Meanwhile, Neville has discovered the truth on his own, having followed Harry out of their dorm room one night over Christmas break. He sees him enter the girls' bathroom on the second floor corridor whisper some hissing language at a sink, and suddenly the Chamber of Secrets is revealed. That's where we left off last week, and it's where we're going to pick up today as we head into the final chapter of What If Neville Was the Chosen One. Neville ran. He didn't know where he was going, he just knew he needed to be far away from that place. That truth, the truth that his best friend was the one opening the Chamber of Secrets and attacking students. And without knowing how he'd ended up there, Neville suddenly found himself alone in the Great Hall. He removed Harry's invisibility cloak and sat staring at his hands, wondering what he should do and how it was even possible. Should he turn Harry in? No, he couldn't get his best friend expelled, but he also couldn't let him keep attacking people. Careful some company, said a voice that caused Neville to cry out in alarm. He looked up to see, of all people, Albus Dumbledore sitting across from him. Certain he was about to be in severe trouble for being out of bed so late at night, he responded dumbly, uh, good evening, sir. I was just looking for a warm beverage to help you sleep. I am sure, responded Dumbledore. No worries, Neville. I myself was just doing the same. Look at Dumbledore making up silly lies for the benefit of his students. And at that moment, Dumbledore tapped the table and two large steaming goblets of hot chocolate appeared before them. I dare say, though, you seem to have taken a seat at the wrong table, said Dumbledore, looking around. Neville gathered his bearings enough to realize that he had indeed sat at the Hufflepuff table by accident. Feeling as though the threat of punishment seemed to have passed for the moment, though, Neville responded, Sorting Hat almost put me in Hufflepuff, you know? Sometimes I'm not sure I'm brave enough for Gryffindor. And I'm sure you would have done great in Hufflepuff as well. You're clearly a hard worker and a loyal friend. It seems young Mr. Potter has even entrusted you with his invisibility cloak, said Dumbledore, motioning to the cloak. You know about- I knew James Potter. Dumbledore said knowingly. He even lent me that very cloak once. It was I who returned it to Harry's godfather to pass it on to Harry after his father died. Neville was unsure what to say, so he just sipped his hot chocolate instead. Sirius was James's best friend. Oh, the trouble they used to get into, Dumbledore said, seemingly lost in a memory. Given the chance, I think he would have died for him that night had he been there. 
It is wonderful that Harry has a friend like you, Neville. The two of you remind me of them very much. Neville was still unsure why Dumbledore was telling him any of this and why he wasn't in trouble for being out of bed, but Dumbledore's words were starting to make him feel a little uneasy. He was praising Neville for his amazing friendship with Harry and what a loyal friend he was when at that very moment, Neville was contemplating turning Harry in for very real crimes. Dumbledore's eyes met Neville's and seemed to pierce right through him. If you are concerned you do not belong in Gryffindor, Neville, let me say this. In times of doubt, we must remember who the true enemy is. But if you can stand up for what you know is good and true, even in the face of terrible danger, that takes real courage. Before Neville could respond, and thus far he didn't feel like he'd added much to the conversation at all, a scream could be heard in the distance. Dumbledore turned, and with amazing speed that Neville would not have expected for a man his age, he was across the hall and out the door. Neville grabbed the invisibility cloak, threw it on, and followed Dumbledore through the castle, and on his way realized he was following a familiar path back to the Gryffindor common room. Oh no, Harry! thought Neville. But no, it wasn't Harry. Outside of the portrait of the fat lady lay Ron Weasley, petrified. Neville, still under the cloak, raced past Dumbledore and up to the dormitory, where he found Harry asleep in his four-poster. How had Harry gotten back to the dormitory? How could he be asleep and why would he attack Ron? Neville's fear of Harry in that moment was matched only by his rage at what Harry had just done. He didn't know what to do, just that he couldn't be in the dormitory any longer. He spent the rest of the evening down in the common room with Ron's elder brothers who had been awakened and informed of the attack. A guard had been placed at the portrait hole, but Neville knew it was no good, that the real enemy was asleep upstairs. The real enemy. That is what Dumbledore had just told him down in the Great Hall and what the note from his grandmother had said when she sent him the Remember All. Remember who the real enemy is. Struck with an idea, Neville threw caution to the wind and rushed up to his dormitory and fished the Remember All out of his trunk. His trouble all year with this particular item had been that any time it grew red and cloudy, he just felt frustrated, unable to remember what he'd forgotten. But now Neville focused all of his energy into the question, who is the real enemy? The orb grew red and cloudy once more. Harry, he wondered in his mind toward the orb, but the clouds continued to swirl inside. Neville concentrated again. Who was the real enemy? Hagrid? Had he actually opened it before? Was he somehow manipulating Harry now? He opened his eyes again, but was unsurprised to find the red smoke still swirling about. He knew it was no good. Hagrid was, as Dumbledore had said, true and good. But then who was it? Did he, Neville, even really have an enemy? And then, as if he'd known it all along, a name appeared in his mind. Voldemort? He opened his eyes and was not surprised to see the smoke had vanished, and he held nothing in his hand but a clear orb. And suddenly, Neville knew what he had to do. Hey, it's clear, said a voice from behind him. Harry had awoken and seen the smoke vanish. Oh yeah, said Neville, ready to confront Harry, but suddenly Harry's appearance caught him off guard. He looked pale, his eyes were watery and red. He looked terrified. Harry, I need to talk to you. Ron's been attacked, and last night I- It's me! burst out Harry. It's me, Neville. I don't know how, but I'm the one attacking people. I think something's wrong with me. I keep blacking out and waking up, and then someone's attacked. I forgive you, said Neville, almost at once, the words coming to him without even thinking. You- what? But I- You know? sputtered Harry. I forgive you. Look, Harry, I already knew it was you. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. I followed you last night. I watched you open the chamber. But- it's not you. I know it's not you. It's it's him. Voldemort. I don't know how, but it is. And I forgive you. You're the best in our year and my best friend, Harry. And I know you never hurt anyone. Except maybe Malfoy. 
Neville added after a pause. And suddenly both boys were laughing and hugging and the relief on Harry's face was palpable. But what do we do? I think it has something to do with that, Harry said, pointing to his notebook. It talks to me. I, I write it and he, well, his name is Tom, Tom Riddle. He talks back. He's brilliant. He knows so much magic. He's been helping me learn this year, but sometimes I'm writing it and I, I just go black. Looks like it's a Dumbledore, said Neville. Maybe he knows who this Tom Riddle is. The two boys set off for Dumbledore's office at once before realizing that they had no idea where it was. Not willing to be deterred though, they headed for the great hall where breakfast was just being served. Dumbledore was eating at the head table and the boys rushed forward to try and tell him what they knew. But before they could reach him, a smug looking man with long sleek blonde hair and a portly man in a lime green bowler hat entered the great hall. Another attack last night, Dumbledore, said the blonde man. I'm afraid the governors have voted at once for your removal. We've come to escort you out of the school immediately. Ah, Lucius, Cornelius, love to see you both on this fine holiday, responded Dumbledore in a tone far removed from someone who has just received news they were being forcibly removed from their position. Apologies about this, Dumbledore, said the man named Fudge. Once these attacks are sorted, I'm sure Lucius and the governors will have you reinstated straight away. If these attacks are sorted, Fudge, if, responded Lucius, looking far happier than Neville felt the occasion warranted. I dare say it almost sounds as if you hope we don't find the culprit, Lucius, said Dumbledore coolly, but then added, but that would of course be utter nonsense, as I'm sure the safety of your son Draco and his schoolmates is of the utmost importance to you. Hatred for the man named Lucius seemed to flood through Neville's body as his true identity was revealed, but there was nothing they can do. Dumbledore was being escorted away from the school at that very moment. I would just like to say, said Dumbledore in a voice that couldn't be described as loud, but carried all the same, that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. Fudge and Malfoy looked curious around the mostly empty hall to see if they could tell who Dumbledore was addressing, but couldn't find anyone. And yet, Neville could have sworn that for the briefest of moments, Dumbledore had locked eyes with him. But what do we do now? Destroy the diary? Get rid of it? Asked Harry, looking frantic. Quirrell, said Neville. He's the defense against the Dark Arts Professor, and he said he's searching the castle, and to let him know if we knew anything that could help, maybe he could figure out how it works, how to get rid of it. Harry looked unsure at this idea, and Neville thought he knew why. There had been a certain security in telling Dumbledore, and assurance that all would be understood and forgiven, but how would the other professors react? We don't have to tell them it's been you doing it or where the entrance is, said Neville. Just that we found this diary and it seems dark and is dated 49 years ago, the same as the last time it was open. That should be enough to go on. Harry agreed and the boys set off to find Professor Quirrell, eventually locating him in his office feeding a large iguana. Incidentally, a completely non-magical creature, as far as I know. Oh. Hello, boys. What can I do for you? He asked. And together they explained about the diary and their suspicions, with Quirrell listening with rapt attention the entire time. Well, boys, I am impressed. I would be happy to look into this. In fact, he turned to pick something up out of the trunk and surfaced again with a small device in the shape of a top. This is a sneakoscope. It detects untrustworthy behavior, usually very unreliable at the school with so many students running about. I had to finally put it away after your friend Ron's older brothers began attending the school, although that was back when I taught muggle studies, he trailed off. Harry and Neville looked eagerly at the device. Anyway, the castle is pretty empty now, so if we just give it a spin here, it should be able to tell us if it detects any dark magic from the, but he'd been cut off by an ear-splitting whistle emitting from the device. His eyes grew wide and he immediately scooped it up and silenced it. That is quite telling, 
Quirrell whispered almost to himself. I think you have found something here. Thank you for turning it into me. You've done the right thing, boys. I shall see what I can glean from it, and hopefully we can put all of this nasty business behind us. And feeling lighter than they had in weeks, Harry and Neville exited Quirrell's office and headed back to their dormitories. Indeed, with the diary behind them and the prospect of Christmas just a few days away, everything seemed much more enjoyable. Okay, question for you guys. What do you think Harry and Neville got each other for Christmas? Also, while we're talking about the winter break, I feel like this is a great time to show off all of the fluffy in the snow artwork we got last week because, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to draw it. Three-headed dogs, really hard to draw. I kept trying to get like one of those AI bots to give me a cool drawing of a three-headed dog in the snow and it, it could not figure out what I wanted. It was so frustrating. So thank you guys for sending in so many. The rest of the winter holiday went off without a hitch. Harry seemed to be completely back to his old self and the boys felt confident in the safety of the school now that the diary had been given to Quirrell. However, when the students arrived back for the spring semester, it was obvious that the news of Ron's attack and Dumbledore's departure from the school had spread far and wide. Many students, Neville found out, had not bothered even returning at all. It seemed some families had been imagining a layer of security around their own children because they weren't muggle-born and thus not likely to be considered enemies of the air. But now that Ron Weasley, a pureblood, had been attacked, all bets were off. And yet, as more time passed, Neville felt more and more certain of everyone's safety. Not a single attack occurred in the first month. And one day in early February, Professor Sprout informed them that the mandrakes were nearly ready to be harvested and that they could soon revive all the victims of petrification. This made Harry very nervous as he was very concerned about being found out as the attacker. But Neville assured him that once everyone was revived and that Dumbledore had a chance to hear what everyone had to say, he would totally be in the clear. After all, even Professor Quirrell had seemed certain that the diary Harry had been carrying around all year was full of dark magic and more likely to be responsible for the attacks than Harry himself. That said, it didn't seem Quirrell had yet solved the mystery of the diary, and Neville wasn't sure if he was imagining it, but it seemed his defense against the dark arts professor was getting paler and paler by the week. Neville and Harry didn't have time to worry about Quirrell, though. The next Quidditch match of the year was coming up, and Harry was determined to make a repeat performance that he could enjoy properly this time. This meant he and Neville were heading down to the Quidditch pitch every day so that Harry could get in some extra practice. Neville still wasn't great on a broom, but he was certainly good enough to float in place and throw golf balls for Harry to go chasing after. And he was impressed how Harry almost never missed a catch, no matter which direction he threw the balls. When the day of the next match arrived, Gryffindor versus Hufflepuff, Neville was very confident about Harry's chances. It wasn't just Harry's extra practice, but one of Hufflepuff's best chasers had been kept home by his parents who were afraid of the attacks, and the Weasley twins seemed more determined than ever to get a win as a show of support for their brother Ron. Nonetheless, though, Hufflepuff started the match much stronger than Slytherin and managed to put up 40 points to Gryffindor's 10 in the first 15 minutes of play. Twice, Neville saw Harry die for the snitch, only for the Hufflepuff seeker to cut him off and cause him to lose sight of it. And now, Neville was watching in horror as a blur of yellow shot towards the center of the field. The Hufflepuff seeker had clearly seen the snitch and was racing towards it. Harry was on the opposite end of the field. But Harry had noticed what Neville had noticed and was now shooting towards the center as well. Harry looked to be gaining ground, but it was impossible to tell who would get there first. It looked like the two seekers were about to collide. Then, suddenly, at the last moment, the snitch switched directions and flew straight up into the sky. Both seekers swerved to miss each other, then pulled their brooms up to continue the pursuit. Hufflepuff had began their ascent sooner, but Harry was lighter and faster and was gaining ground quick. But was it fast enough? They both reached out, but Harry kicked off his broomstick, going completely airborne, and grabbed it. His broom caught up with him just in time for Harry to catch it again and save him from plummeting down to the field. He held the snitch aloft. Gryffindor wins! 
wins! Sorry, you know I had to get a Quidditch match in there, though. Cheers erupted around the stadium as the teams landed on the ground. Party in the common room! Shouted one of the twins as they hoisted Harry into the air. Neville couldn't remember feeling happier as the crowd made its way back up to the castle. Gryffindor was in the lead for the House Cup, his best friend had just won his second Quidditch match, and there hadn't been an attack in a month. But as the Gryffindors made their way through the second floor corridor, they came to an abrupt halt. And guys, now we need to take a quick pause to tell you about today's sponsor, Honey. Which, if somehow you don't know, is the easiest way to save when you're shopping on your iPhone or computer. And did you know it only takes a few seconds to get Honey? Like, I bet if you opened the app on your phone or on your computer right now, you could have it downloaded before this ad read is over. But while you're marveling at that speed, let me tell you, it finds savings even faster. While you're in the middle of checking out from any website, it will just start scanning the entire internet for promo codes that you could apply. It will try all of them and then apply apply the best ones. And like, you don't even have to ask it to do it. It'll just notice there's a promo code there and be like, oh, I found something. Here's some money back. I can tell you next week, my family, my wife, my kids, we're all going to the beach for a week and it's going to be so much fun, but prepping is always a big deal. Kids are growing out of stuff all the time. You got to get all sorts of new things, trunks, towels, swim shirts. Let me tell you, when you have three kids, it can add up pretty quick, but that is where Honey came through. We got to the checkout window and boom, it had saved us $30. Plus Honey doesn't just work on your desktop, it works on your iPad iPhone too. Just open it up in Safari and boom, you can start saving on the go. I could start saving money ordering stuff on the beach. Well, I could, but realistically, I have the three kids. So the idea that I'm going to be sitting in the chair just relaxing at any point during the next week is laughable. Seriously, there's just no reason not to have it. And I bet if you took that challenge at the beginning of the ad read, you've already got it now. But if not, get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash supercarlin. One more time, that is joinhoney.com slash supercarlin. Link in the description down below. There, in red writing above the words, enemies of the air beware, was a new message. His body will rot in the chamber forever. Panic broke out at once. Who had been taken into the chamber? The entire school had been at the match, hadn't it? The answer to that question came within the hour. All of the students had been ordered back to their common rooms, and Professor McGonagall had arrived to announce that the rest of the school year had been canceled, and that none other than Professor Quirrell had been taken into the chamber. Harry and Neville looked at each other with terror on their faces. It was their fault. They had given Professor Quirrell the diary and now he was going to die in the chamber. Not only that, but Neville was going to have to return home, possibly forever if the school wasn't reopened. He couldn't return to that life. Not now that he knew what he'd been missing. Never go to Hogwarts again? Never see another Quidditch match? Never see Harry? We've got to do something. We're the only ones who know where the chamber is, said Neville to Harry. We got Quirrell into this mess, and now we have to get him out. But what can we do, asked Harry. Shouldn't we tell someone? McGonagall, or? No, we can't endanger anyone else. The last teacher we told about it is about to die. Look, Harry, I know this sounds crazy, but somehow I think it's supposed to be us. Harry didn't need any more convincing. I'll get the cloak. We'll go tonight. We go down the trap door. Tonight. Flash. Trap sink. As night fell, the two boys snuck out of the common room once more and made their way to the second floor bathroom. Once inside, Neville showed Harry the sink where he'd seen Harry open the chamber once before. Who's there? yelled a girl's voice from one of the stalls. Neville and Harry both jumped, but calmed down when they saw the ghost of a girl floating out from one of the stalls to greet them. You're moaning Myrtle, said Harry. I've heard of you. Didn't you die in this bathroom? These were apparently not the right words to say to Myrtle, who immediately dissolved into a pool of tears. Wait, sorry about that, said Neville. It's just, we think the entrance to the chamber of secrets is in this bathroom. You must be in here all the time. Do you know anything about it? This seemed to have the desired effect and Myrtle stopped sobbing. I just remember a large something coming out of the sink over there and a boy telling it to stare me in the eyes. It was the last thing I ever saw before I died. Neville and Harry exchanged looks. Okay, well, 
Whatever's down there, don't look it in the eyes, said Neville. Do you think you can open it again? What? Asked Harry. I don't know how to open it. I can't remember anything from when I was blacked out. Oh, right, said Neville, thinking fast. Well, I remember you standing here and you whispered some kind of hiss at it. It sounded like a snake or something. Can you remember how it sounded? Can you do it again? Asked Harry. Maybe, said Neville, rather unsure of himself, but feeling he had nothing to lose, began making hissing noises at the sink. It took several minutes of trying, but eventually, and much to Neville's surprise, the sink began to transform once again into the entrance of the Chamber of Secrets. Well done, Neville, said Harry excitedly. I'll go first. And with that, Harry jumped through. From there, the two boys made their way through a series of tunnels. At some point, Neville had to hiss at another door to get it open, but eventually they found it, the Chamber of Secrets. Before them stood a large underground atrium, lined on both sides with statues of huge snake heads. And there at the other end lay Quirrell, the boys yelled out. Rushing to their professor's side, things looked grim. He looked paler than ever, and after checking his pulse, they found his heart was barely beating. He won't answer you, said a cool voice from the shadows. The boys looked up to see a handsome boy in Slytherin robes walking toward them. Tom, what's going on? What happened to him? How are you down here? Asked Harry. Good to see you again, Harry. Am I to assume this is your friend, Neville Longbottom, the one you've been writing about? His eyes settled on Neville, looking hungry, and Neville thought he saw a flash of red behind them. I'm Neville, said Neville, trying to sound braver than he felt. Then your professor has served his true purpose, said Tom, a real hint of excitement rising in his voice. I knew you couldn't resist coming to save him. Knew from everything Harry told me, you wouldn't risk the school closing, returning to your hidey hole forever. It would have been safer, though, Tom trailed off. It's been you, Neville said. You've been controlling Harry. But I thought the true enemy... Voldemort! How dare you speak that name, shouted Tom. I suppose you think yourself brave, just as this worthless professor did. Yes, I was the one controlling Harry, telling him where the chamber was, how to open it, carrying out the noble work of Salazar Slytherin. But it was all just to get your attention, Neville. Me? said Neville nervously. Yes, the entire year my real target has been you. I thought I had you at Christmas. The school was empty. You and Potter were nearly alone. I instructed him to bring Slytherin's monster to your common room to strike you down. Instead, we ran into that Weasley boy out looking for you two. Pathetic. But why me? I don't even know you. I've never known anyone until this year. And why is that, Neville? It's because you've been hiding from me, hiding away Dumbledore thought you would be safe. But look at the great Dumbledore now, driven away from the castle by the mere memory of me. Dumbledore will never really be gone, not as long as there are those who recognize what is good and true, shouted Neville. And at these words, a flash of fire appeared in the air and a large red bird swooped down, dropping into Neville's hands, the sorting hat? Tom cackled in amusement. Does that mean you're Voldemort? Said Harry, taking a step in front of Neville. But He's gone. He's been gone for ten years. At last you realize the truth, Potter. Very good, yes. I am Lord Voldemort. As he said this, he scratched the letters of his name in the air, Tom Marvolo Riddle, which rearranged themselves to spell the same sentence he'd just spoke. The Dark Lord never fell, though, Potter. He's been waiting. I've been waiting this whole time for him, he said, motioning to Neville. The boy with the power to defeat the Dark Lord. Well, we'll see about that. The what? Said Harry and Neville together. My true self opened this chamber 49 years ago. He's been looking for you for the last 10 years, Neville, waiting for you to come to this school where Dumbledore thought you would be safe. But he knew once you were here, he could attack you with this 
Tom said, holding up the diary. With me, which is to say, him. He concealed in this diary a version of his 16-year-old self. He's been writing in the diary for the last 10 years, telling me about the hunt for Neville Longbottom and how I was to destroy him, how he would send the diary to the school with the Malfoy boy, how I was to manipulate him and destroy you. Neville suddenly remembered meeting Malfoy on the train and the book he was holding, the sinking sensation he'd felt when they shook hands. But he lost it. And to my surprise, Harry Potter, your new best friend, found it instead, and he began writing to me. It was perfect. I was closer to you than I ever could have hoped. But then you got wise. Gave me over to him, he said, motioning towards Quirrell. Quirrell here has been seeking glory all year long. All his life, really. I promised it to him, how badly he wanted to find the chamber, to vanquish the monster within. I led him right to it, and glorified he will be, for in just moments, all the life shall drain out of him and into me. I shall be reborn and finish what my monster, my basilisk, has failed to do all year. Simultaneously, Harry and Neville reacted, pulling out their wands and yelling, Petrificus totalus! Expelliarmus! The spells collided and created an unusual effect, or maybe it was just that Tom wasn't fully formed again yet. Tom's wand shot towards the ground while his body slowly began freezing, but it wasn't fast enough. His face looked livid as he began snarling and hissing instructions at a tall statue behind him. Suddenly, the statue's mouth opened, and from within, a huge snake, the basilisk, emerged. Don't look at its eyes, Harry yelled. He fired another Expelliarmus at the snake, but it had no effect. The snake turns towards Neville. Neville, seeing there was nowhere to run, attempted to cover his eyes with the hat in his hand. He shoves it over his head. From beneath, he could see the shadow of the basilisk approached them. But then, the bird! It had reappeared and was pecking away at the snake's eyes. Well done, bird, yelled Harry. Neville, it's blind! I like that they don't know who Fox is. Neville removed the hat, but as he did, noticed something hard and heavy land on his head. He reached up and was surprised to find a huge silver sword with rubies glistening in the handle. Whoa! Neville said. Looking up, Neville saw the basilisk had turned its attention towards Harry, who'd been throwing rocks at it to distract it. But now, Harry had nowhere to go. The snake lunged. Neville ran towards the snake, sword drawn. Protego! Shouted Harry. The shield charm burst apart as the basilisk collided with it, and the resulting force sent Harry's wand spiraling away from him. There was nowhere else to go. The basilisk lunged again for Harry, but sink! Neville threw all of his weight behind the sword, shoving it straight up through the basilisk's mouth and into its brain. The basilisk recoiled in agony before finally falling over. Dead. No! Tom shouted. The effects of the bodybind curse had worn off and he was on his feet again with his wand. But no, it's better this way, of course. It had to be me. I should be the one to do it. There's no one to save you now, Longbottom. Harry was on his feet. He threw himself in front of Neville. If you want to get to Neville, you'll have to go through me, he shouted. Stand aside, Potter. There's no reason for you to die as well. Your half-blood is worthless, but you've proven a wonderful servant this year. You may still be of some use to the Dark Lord. Never! Harry shouted back. I'll never let you kill my best friend! Have it your way, then. Havada Kedavra! Time seemed to stand still. Neville tried to shove Harry out of the way, but Tom's spell was too fast. The jet of green collided with Harry, lifting him into the air for the briefest of moments before he collapsed on the ground in front of Neville. Dead. Oh, didn't see that coming, did you? Harry! Neville shouted. He dropped his sword, dropped his wand, dropped to his knees, shaking Harry, trying to shake him back to life. It could not be true. Harry could not be dead. And now, to finish what I, the greatest wizard in the world, started ten years ago to kill the boy they said could defeat me. Well, 
There was nothing special about you after all, was there? Neville stood. He was defenseless. He did not know what Voldemort was talking about, but he knew he had lost. He knew there was no escape, but also knew he would not die on his knees. He would die like his friend, standing against the true enemy. Tom pointed his wand directly at Neville's chest. Avada Kedavra! And then everything went black. Neville awoke in the hospital wing he didn't know how many days later. He looked around and saw that he had a pile of cards and candy on the nightstand next to him, and at the end of his bed sat Dumbledore. Good afternoon, Neville, he said casually, as if Neville had not just awoken from the dead. Or was he? Hello, Professor. Where am I? Am I dead? Oh no, Neville, my boy, you are not dead. You are very alive, and I cannot tell you how proud of you I am. But. Alive? Neville's mind thought racing. Harry? Is he okay? Is he alive too then? I thought he died in the chamber. Dumbledore sighed. It seemed he had hoped to avoid this particular point at least for a few minutes. Harry, I am afraid, Neville, did not survive the encounter with Lord Voldemort. But it was the same spell. Tom Riddle, did you catch him? Did he get away? Tom Riddle is gone. Or at least that part of him is gone. Neville, what happened in the chamber is truly unique, and so I can only guess as to what happened, but here is what I have been able to piece together. You and Harry shared a great friendship, as great as any as I've ever seen pass through these halls. He loved you like a brother, Harry, much the way his own godfather loved James Potter. And a bond like that is not so easily defeated. Let me ask you, did Tom offer to spare Harry's life? Yes, he, he said he would be a useful servant, and that... He didn't need to die. Ah, said Dumbledore. This is ancient magic, Neville. Magic at its very deepest level. By sacrificing himself for you, Neville, even though he need not have died, Harry provided you with the most powerful kind of protection one wizard can give another. Love. Love? said Neville, uncertainly. Yes, Neville, love. If I am not mistaken, Voldemort attempted to kill you with the killing curse. It is usually, and by all accounts, unblockable, unsurvivable. It leaves no trace and kills instantly. But in dying for you, it appears, Harry has allowed you to break the rules, as you two are always so prone to doing, he said with a wink. Not only did you survive the curse, but it seems to have backfired upon Voldemort, destroying him in the process. And while it usually fails to leave any mark at all, it seems you've been left with a rather unique Scar. He motioned to Neville's chest. Neville looked down to discover what appeared to be a thunderstorm's worth of lightning scarred across his chest. I mean, way cooler than one bolt, right? What about Professor Quirrell? Queerness, I am sad to report, did not survive the night either. Tom Riddle successfully drained him of all of his life, just in time for you to destroy him in turn. Neville looked down. Something else was bothering him still. Professor, Tom said I was the boy with the power to destroy the Dark Lord. That that was why my family was in hiding. What did he mean? Alas, Neville, I think this is a question for another day, but for now, may I suggest you focus on some of these sweets from your many admirers? Dumbledore said this as he unboxed a chocolate frog card in front of Neville. Ah, how fitting, he said, examining the card and tossing it to Neville. First you pull his sword from the hat, and now his card from the box. A true Gryffindor indeed. Neville stared down at the picture of Godric Gryffindor staring up at him, the very same card Harry had given him when they met on the train. Neville didn't know how yet, but he knew someday he would pay Harry back the favor of saving his life and defeat Voldemort once 
and for all. And that is what would happen if Neville was the chosen one. Guys, thank you all so much for watching this series. It has been an absolute blast writing and watching it all come together. I will say though that for the moment, this is where we are going to end it. I know many of you are probably very eager to find out how the rest of the story unfolds, how Neville will defeat Voldemort, and I must admit, so am I. So I'm not saying we won't return to this story at some point, I just don't know right now when that will be. As we were writing this, it became very obvious to us that the real question we were answering was how would Neville become the chosen one? How would Voldemort mark him if he had settled on Neville instead of Harry? However, if you're interested in hearing uh, me and Ben get really into the weeds about developing the story and writing it and watching it come together, um, we are going to be doing a uh, commentary over on our Patreon page. That's uh, patreon.com slash supercarlinbrothers. We're gonna talk about all the paths we didn't take, maybe answer some of your questions like, what about the Sorcerer's Stone or the Mirror of Erised or Dobby or Snape, like what happened to all of them? I know we didn't cover every single little detail, but we are gonna get into all the little obstacles that uh, we encountered and all the paths we could have taken. If you wanna go check that out, it's for the uh, $5 and up tier. It's a great way to support the channel. So thanks in advance. But seriously, one more time, thank you so much for watching this. It has been a true labor of love over the last month, uh, piecing it all together. And it means the world to me that you guys uh, tune in week after week to uh, watch how the story unfolds. But otherwise, until next time, Ben, I will see you in another Life Brother.